Welcome to Radical Resilience, the podcast. I'm your host, Pega Kadkodian. Resilience is more than just learning to bounce back from adversity. It is both a spiritual and practical journey of returning to the essence of who you are. With Radical Resilience, life can throw anything at you, and no matter how tossed around you get, no matter how hard you fall, you have the ability to get back up and come home to yourself. Hear the inspirational stories of women who embody radical resilience and learn the resources you need to reclaim your passion, purpose, and power. Hello, and welcome back to Radical Resilience, the podcast. Pega Kadkodian here with you, as always, your host. I'm really excited about today's guest. I was so happy to make her acquaintance. It is my absolute pleasure and privilege to introduce you to Miss Lisa Peranzo. Lisa, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And same, I love it when you meet someone and you're immediately like, you're my people. We knew each other. I don't know how we knew each other, but we've known each other. Absolutely. Whether it's like a past life thing or whatever, it was just this instant soul connection. Sometimes that happens and it's such a treat when it does. Lisa, I'm so excited to have you on to share with us your expertise, which really is going to center around the pillar of radical self-care as it pertains to the seven pillars of radical resilience. And you have such beautiful gifts to offer the world, but let's start with your story of resilience and how you came to do what it is that you're doing today. First, I have to say the seven pillars of resilience that you've come up with. I love it. I know I said that to you when we initially spoke and I was reading through them and like, wow, I can relate to so many of these and see my connection. But I really feel like my story in particular is primarily focused on that radical self-care sense and then how I've taken that and expanded that into a business. So to like really step it back, I was 19 in the army and I was an ROTC. So for those listeners who don't know what that is, ROTC is you signing an enlistment contract And the military, whatever branch says, you know what, we're going to let you go to college first and you can graduate from college. And then you owe us that time after college, but you'll come in in the officer ranks as opposed to in the enlisted ranks. So I enlisted the week after September 11th. And then at the age of, I know, right. I say that to people and they're like, but (laughs) I had been talking to recruiters long, long before that. Um, It is not like the movies make it out to be that you just walk into an recruitment office and you sign paperwork and you're on a bus the next day. This is not how it works. I've been talking to recruiters for a really long time and I had taken their aptitude test, which is called the ASVAB. And they said, wow, you're a really strong candidate for ROTC. We want to see you go that way. When I was 19, I ended up getting really severely hurt on a training exercise. I shattered, fractured, and dislocated my right foot. I pride myself on having like a really strong connection between my brain and my body. And when I tell you, I felt a ball of pain go from my head and shoot down to my foot. That is literally what it felt like. And then it felt like an explosion. Nothing in my life, even childbirth, has been comparable to that pain. Um, But as a result of that injury, I did not walk for almost a year. So I was bedridden for the better part of a year. I went through multiple surgeries. I had so much physical therapy. It was like not even funny. (laughs) It was a very, very extensive rehabilitative process. And 
it made me look at my whole life in a completely different way because here I am this 19 year old kid. Cause I was a kid sitting there going, I have my whole life planned out. I'm going to do 20 in the military. I'm going to get all my advanced degrees done. You know, I'll come out. I won't even be 40 years old. I'll have a pension. I'll have healthcare for the rest of my life. And I will have time in my life to pursue other passions. And then in literally less than a minute, it was gone. And to the army's benefit, they didn't write me off. It was like, this is kind of an unprecedented situation. Ooh, how many times have we heard that in 2020? Anyways, um, let's give her time. Let's give her space to heal. Let's give her space to rehab. Let's see what this looks like when her doctor calls her completely cleared. And then we will figure out where she fits. So I will say before I dive even deeper, they took amazing care of me. I got fantastic healthcare that I still get. They paid for my education. They allowed me to, you know, continue going to school. They were very non-pressury about me continuing. They wanted me to be very healthy. And it got to the point where I plateaued on my rehab and I couldn't meet the physical standards that they had. Obviously, if you think so, this happened in 2004, and I actually remember being on bed rest and watching the invasion of Iraq from bed rest and knowing that that was where we would be going, like me in particular and the people that I was training with. And I plateaued. They needed a certain specific physical requirement for me, and I couldn't keep it. And as devastating as that was for me, my like higher self was going you need to let this go because you're going to put more people in harm's way if you can't meet this physical standard. And those people need to be safe because they have families to come home to. And when I reconciled all that, which was a huge grieving process, like I worked every single step of grief and it took a very, very long time. And when I worked all of that, it ended up being okay what do I do with myself now? You know, by then I was maybe like 21, 22. This spanned over years. I had my whole life, I had this plan and now I don't have this plan. But I also had this really amazing doctor who kept like pounding into my head. What do you want the quality of your life to be? What do you want the quality of your life to be? What do you want your health to look like? What do you want your self-care to look like what do you like this is up to you these are going to be a culmination of the choices that you make so how do you want your life to look five years from now 10 years from now 20 years from now you know do you want to be the person who's addicted to pain medication because they haven't learned other ways to manage their pain do you want to be able to carry the weight of a pregnancy if you decide to have children and it was stuff that as a person in your young twenties, you're not really thinking about. That is rare and beautiful. So props to her for asking you such really poignant, important questions about what you wanted your future to look like and already getting you set up for the mindset that would be required of you for your healing and your resilience. She was everything that I needed. And it actually did get to the point where I was kind of pushing the boundaries on my recovery a little bit. And she refused service. Essentially, she looked at me and she said, you're not coming back unless you're letting me cut you open again. 
in those words, she said, if you're not booking another surgery, you need to get out and I need to not see you. You need to start figuring out something else. I radically changed what my self-care looked like. Mm, Say more to that. And actually, I wanted to go back a little bit because I wanted to kind of pick your brain around what was going on and and how you processed that grief. Because you mentioned how you had to go through every step of grief. And I think that's an important point for our listeners who might be dealing with some kind of debilitating injury or illness or something that's really set them back physically where again, I think in our culture, it gets taken for granted that there is a grief process around that because it is a sense of loss around something that you are used to and and a way of life that you're accustomed to that is no longer. And so what some of the specific things were that you did to process your grief as you were going through those different stages? I have very strong gut instincts. And over time, I've learned to not ignore them. And that injury was a really big part of it. I mean, just to kind of highlight the whole morning before I got hurt in the later part of the day, like right around sunset, but the whole day I felt sick to my stomach. I had a horrible feeling that I wasn't where I was supposed to be. I felt very off. Um, There were things happening around me that it it was, it was just like, "Mm," you know, and the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. That was happening. It was happening the whole day. The body is so old girl. And I have come to really respect that part of me. And as soon as the injury happened, I knew I was done in the military. Nobody had confirmed it and nobody confirmed it for years. Uh, I knew I was done. I just, I knew my heart of hearts, that gut instinct was just like, this is over. Because initially they were thinking I had just broken my foot. And it wasn't until a couple of days later when I got more extensive uh, scans and stuff done that the damage to my foot was true, not to get gross, but my midfoot on my right foot looked like cornflakes, like the cereal. I mean, the doctor that I had completely rebuilt my foot like bones from scratch. I mean, girls, okay. And the army kept saying, and we're not going to write her off. We're not going to write her off. But I had already started that grieving process. And I was in a place that was safe, that allowed me to step into my feelings when I needed to. And I think what I began to recognize was there was no way around it. As much as I wanted to have a way around it, as much as I did not want to have to process it, I had to process it. And that meant being angry when I felt angry, being sad when I felt sad, crying when I needed to cry, perseverating on certain aspects of things and asking the why me questions, you know, and over, I must have overanalyzed that situation like something fierce. And then it was also grieving the losses of so many relationships. You know, as a country at that time, we were in a state of war. And the people that I had around me who were my tribe went into that. And it wasn't that they forgot about me. It was just the forefront of their mind was pushing them somewhere else. So it wasn't like I lost importance. 
it, it just was a shift in focus. And I had to grieve the losses of so many friendships as a result. Because we we went on this very divergent path, you know, they're continuing their training and their processes to commission. Some of them ended up not commissioning. They ended up stopping college and immediately going overseas. Um, and I was on this completely different road of rehab. And re it was when I talk to vets now, how we speak about it is like I, I was like one of the first to come back in a way, but not really. Like we as a military, we're not used to seeing people injured at that time. So we just kind of stayed like narrow focus. So as rough as the grief was, I let myself walk through it. And I also gave myself a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of patience. I got myself professional help. I sought the help of a therapist to help process through all the things that I had experienced to give myself another safe space and professional advice to be able to process through that. And when it got to the point where I was like, I don't want to be on pain meds anymore. Like Pega, when I tell you, I was on some pain meds, girl, 1800 milligrams of Vicodin every single day, six to 800 milligrams of Tylenol multiple times a day. That idea of really giving yourself permission to be with the emotions, to let them be there and rather than running from them, avoiding them, sidestepping them, bypassing them, numbing them, whatever you want to call it, that you, I love what you just said. I had to go through it. When you got angry, you were angry. When you were sad, you let yourself be sad. And I, I think that's such a key, key component to the healing. So thank you for highlighting that for our listeners and, and sharing that that was a real necessary part of the process. So here you are now. On the other side of processing the grief, life's taken a different direction and you had to completely rethink your self-care. Paint us a picture there of, of what that was. And something that I really do want to highlight to your listeners for not only that like grieving processing part, but also to be able to like reinvent myself. I think one of the key components to my success in this was having a very strong support system. Huge. It was huge. I think without the support system that I had of the people around me, I don't think I would have been successful. You know, they were the ones that when I wanted to go off the pain meds, it was like, okay, let's figure this out for you. When I knew I had reached a point where I needed to go and talk to somebody. Okay. How do we make this happen for you? And then when it got to the point where it was like, I need to figure out how I'm going to take care of myself. What is my life going to look like? I need to have days that I don't have chronic pain. They gave me the space to figure that out. And let's try that. You know, it was let's try stuff. Let's see if it fits. And if it doesn't, then we move on. And a lot of it for me, uh, which actually kind of propelled me into how I work as a trainer was accepting where my body was at and really honoring and respecting that and letting that be the launch pad for my self-care. Beautiful. That space of acceptance. I love to, you know, what you said about having that team of support. So not only, you know, a tribe, you know, we call it connection and community, but having a team of support of experts in their field helping you, right? So mental health. Mental, physical, spiritual was all of it. All of it needed to be addressed. Exactly. 
And then I also needed to be people who could give me other options. You know, when you're in the military, you're used to physical training on a very specific way. And I couldn't train like that anymore. But I didn't know what else to do that would give me the same endorphin rush. Like you hear runners talk about like a runner's high. Running and high impact is completely contraindicated for me. But I was running pre-injury five plus miles multiple days a week. And so it was like, okay, how do I transition that? What does that look like? Okay, let me try this. Let me try this. Let me try this. I found yoga and yoga helped me out a ton. And I also found Pilates at that time. And those two, I think because they they are so similar and yet so different, that focus on the breath, that focus on that like moving meditation and giving my brain the space to shut down was what I needed And to see that there were other modalities of fitness that could keep me healthy, that could, you know, give me the endorphin rush and challenge me and get me sweaty, that were also very respectful to my body and where it's at. And then it was also a whole lot of me letting go of my ego and being like, you know what, you are okay the way that you are. And it is okay that you are not running half marathons and that that's not going to be your thing. So now I joke to my clients that if you see me running, you better start running because I'm probably being chased because y'all know I don't run. <laughs> like ever. <laughs> I'm probably being chased. It's probably T-Rex. Noted. If I see you running, I'm going to start running too. I'm not, not even going to wait. It's hilarious. So this is another really beautiful example, as is the case with so many of our incredible guests where you took what happened to you and that adversity, you took that pain and the devastation of that and really turned it into your life's purpose. So for our listeners, you know, I wanted to share a little bit of your expertise and a little snippet of your bio, if I may. I'm going to brag about you a little bit, okay? I know, I'm going to make you sound fancy for a minute. So you have over 10 years of experience in the fitness industry, working with an amazingly diverse population, including first responders, athletes, adolescents. I mean, that's pretty broad. And uh, you're helping people rehab from a variety of injuries, including spinal cord injuries and brain injuries, recovering from childbirth, sports-related injuries, as well as joint replacements. I mean, this is pretty specialized stuff. And I love that your focus is always to help your clients find their own strength and power from their fitness routine. So it's not this cookie-cutter approach, but a highly customized Approach to helping them find their wellness. And I got to just, I got to give you a little shout out, right? That you're featured in Health Web Magazine, Smartpreneur, SD Voyager. So, uh, you know, lots of stuff here, bachelor's in uh, psychology and master's in human behavior. So you obviously understand the mindset that goes into any of these things. Um, obviously, multiple certifications and Pilates and bar and CrossFit and paleo nutrition. I mean, you're pretty much just a wellness badass. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And I know that you also spent some time working uh, as a counselor with domestic violence populations. So girl, you're amazing. Tell us a little bit about what you do now. You know, I did the college thing. I got all done with that. I went into corporate America and I got very disillusioned very quickly. And then the recession happened in 2008 and I ended up taking a complete turn through a friend of mine who's police officer down here in San Diego. Now she's in Santa Barbara. And I ended up working with victims of violence. And 
then I ended up contracting with the military to work with victims of violence. And the whole time fitness was kind of like the side hustle. You know, it was like the thing that I did after work, before work, training people, whatever. And it was always from a place of even working with domestic violence victims, helping them discover like their inner badass. I think Mm -hmm. that we get so bogged down by life and societal pressures and where, you know, we quote unquote should be and all that kind of stuff that we forget how powerful we actually are. And so when I left the Mm -hmm. domestic violence community, I went into training full time. That was my goal was train from a point of helping that person step into their power. And how do you help that person step into their power? And for me, stepping into my power meant that unconditional self-acceptance and love and showing myself Mm. that love and stop and not being critical of what I could or couldn't do. And and it, it was a shift in mindset for me because it became a like, if I would tell myself something negative, I automatically started telling myself something I had overcame or something positive about me, not to like get this big old ego, but to just remind myself that I'm more resilient than what I give myself credit for. And I tell my clients all the time, like you've made it through a hundred percent of your bad days and you're here now. So what are you going to do with the here and the now? Because I very much know what it's like to have that taken and taken when you don't expect it to be. So if you're given the opportunity, what are you going to give to it? So I started training. I started kind of cultivating this community. And it was all, I think I told you, like, I sneakily wanted to create this community without them knowing. And then I did it. (laughs) But that was what I wanted. I wanted a place predominantly for women, although I've trained a ton of dudes as well. And I love my dudes. But I wanted a place for women to be able to come to try and to fail and to not feel bad about themselves, to find their strength, to find their confidence. I wanted them walking out. I tell them all the time, still, I want you walking out feeling like an Olympian, feeling like a champion, because to me, you are. Because what I was noticing is this negative self-talk was like taking all of them over when all I was seeing was this like amazing woman and me being like, why are you talking about yourself like that? Like, boo, I don't see you like that. Like, do you see how amazing you are? Do you see how powerful you are? Let's focus in on that. So I started doing the training thing. And then people were like, man, like, you're really funny. You should start a blog. And so I started a blog. (laughs) And I started like giving workouts away for free and like doing all this kind of stuff. And then I was like, okay, I need to monetize it. Obviously, this went over like years or whatever, right? So I was like, okay, well, we're going to monetize it. And so I turned it into a helpful life and I launched that. And it's an online training platform for the busy adult to figure out how to have that aspect of self-care in the chaos that is being a busy adult. There's one commonality we all have. Life is crazy, man. It is busy. And it's not going to get any less busy. But how do we continue to show ourselves that love, that acceptance, that care, because that care is vital. I truly believe that if you can take care of yourself, you can serve your community in a fuller, 
better, more supportive and loving way. Absolutely. I got, I, I love it. It's so in alignment with everything that we're about here. And I'll, I'll just share with you something that one of my clients said, um, you know, she used to be really hard on herself, not unlike what you're describing with many of your ladies. And, you know, after all the work that we did together, she, you know, I don't focus in on the fitness piece of it, but that was a part of her radical self-care. And I think, you know, having a physical component to your self-care is so important but she said to me, you know, it's such a different paradigm to be working out and moving my body because I love it rather than working out and moving my body so that I can love it. Right. So it's that distinction between I work out now because I love my body, not to love my body. And I was like, yes, that's it. Right. I think that's, that's what I'm hearing inside of what you're saying is it's about radical self-acceptance and self-love and let that be the driving factor, not, oh, I got to fit into some size two jeans or whatever. So much of that is genetics, right? Like my inner thighs will always touch. The benefit then is that I'm not going to drop my phone in a toilet by accident. So we're fine. Like we're good. But that, that is so what it is. And, and it became this, like, when I first started training, it was like, I can't train from this cookie cutter platform because what works for me might not work for you on a lot of different levels. I have unfortunately had other injuries since my foot because I tried to push those boundaries and my body gave me that immediate feedback of like, no, stop, slow it down. And then also from the standpoint of, I know how busy we are. I know how chaotic life can be. I know how many things demand of our time. And I say that because I'm a military spouse. I own my own business. I work out of a brick and mortar and I am a mom. There's a lot of things demanding my time. And I know when it comes to my physical self-care, if it's not something that I want to do, I won't do it. So what works for me might not work for the other person, right? Like you have to find the self-care that works for you. Maybe that's not a CrossFit workout. Maybe that's a yoga workout because that is more in alignment with what your body and your soul needs. But it's not a matter of having to move. It's a matter of getting to move. Right? Like you, you get to move in a way that honors you. I love that. I also on like a low key level was like, I, I can't with like the people on social media and, and the stuff that I was seeing that it was it was unattainable. And then it makes you feel small. And my one goal has always been, I don't want my people to feel small because we're not like, we're so much bigger than what we give ourselves credit mm -hmm. for. You know, we've accomplished so much. So if we're going to take the time to do something from a self-care standpoint, it needs to be something that truly, truly serves us. That You can walk away from it and be like, yeah, I totally feel better. So maybe that means, you know, incorporating in a workout that's shorter, but that you know you can do on a more consistent basis. You know, or maybe that means completely shifting what you're doing because of an injury that you've incurred. And I'll add to that, you know, there's there's so many women out there who are struggling with uh, adrenal burnout, adrenal fatigue, which is compromising our, you know, and I'll throw myself into that mix, our ability to 
um, exert ourselves in the ways that we might have been able to in the past. And as we're recovering from that, learning how to be compassionate, it's no different than having an injury. Um, hormonal imbalances. I mean, those are real things. And I think as women often, we feel like, oh, what is wrong with me that I don't have the energy? And why can't I do what I used to be able to do in my 20s or 30s? And it's like, you know, to be able to give ourselves that level of grace and compassion to be where we are, as we're recovering from, you know, what could be hormonal shifts, or like I said, the adrenal burnout, no different, I think, than recovering from an actual injury, because we are, we are limited in our, in our capacity in terms of what we can put out. That's huge. It's amazing to me when I sit down with like my private clients and, you know, I can hear them be hard on themselves. Oh, I didn't get my full workout in, or, you know, this happened, that happened, whatever. And I'll go through like whatever happened in their day. And then when you really, oh, dang, and the other thing that I have really embraced is a lot of the information that's available to us when it comes to physical fitness training, how to eat and nourish your body. And these things are based, love my men, off of a man and a man's metabolism. And they're not taking into account the hormonal shifts that a woman goes through. And that is you know, a woman who's on a very typical cycle, not looking at somebody who maybe has hormonal imbalances, or maybe she's pre or perimenopausal, or maybe she's postpartum, or maybe she's pregnant, and the hormones are shifting. It's not taking all that into account. And it's insane to me. And I tell my clients all the time, they're so we are so maternal, we want to take care of everybody, we want to see everybody in our community, just like living their best lives at the sacrifice of our own. Yeah. I've seen it time and again, whether you're somebody who is actually a mom or whether you're a a practitioner of some kind taking care of your clients, or, you know, you are that high powered career woman who feels, you know, like she has to show up for that career. That's her baby. You know, we feel obligated to take care of others and our obligations oftentimes so much more than we give ourselves uh, the time. So, and there's nothing wrong with taking care of your community. Like, I don't want your listeners to think that, but it shouldn't be at the detriment of your own health. And it's not a selfish thing to take care of yourself. And it's not a selfish thing to take care of yourself in the way that's best for you. If it's done from a healthy place, from a place that's going to help, you know, make you stronger and give you that love. I'm totally supportive of it. I could talk to you forever, I'm sure. And I have a few rapid fire questions. You know, you answered it, but I want to highlight it. What's one thing you did to cultivate your inner resilience as you were going through the darkest moment of your recovery? I, the one, the biggest thing that I did was I let myself grieve. Beautiful. What is your favorite self-care practice? One thing. Pilates is like my go-to self-care practice. Okay. Your three favorite personal development or spiritual teachers, living or deceased. I love the Dalai Lama and what he talks about. I've really, you know what I've really gotten to recently? I read, um, Tim Ferriss's Tool of Titans, Tools of Titans. That's probably my next one. 
Mm-mm-mm-mm. You know what? Oh man, Joseph Pilates. He he wrote a book way back in the day called The Return to Contrology. And the ideas in that book, that was a man ahead of his time. But if you want to read about some hardcore self-care, I mean, the stuff he talks about is the stuff that's trendy now. And that was years ago. Like, drink water. What a concept. (laughs) Go outside. (laughs) What a concept. (laughs) I know. Simple things, right? It's really the little things. It's so true. So who is in your power posse? And what I mean by that is who do you call upon to stand behind you to kind of back you up in those hard moments? I call on my grandma, my maternal grandmother. She passed away uh, in 2007. So because I'm a, a big believer in like fate and God putting you where you need to be when you need to be there. Um, and I have a, my own personal spiritual practice is very strong meditation and prayer and and that kind of stuff. But my grandmother died from lung cancer and 16 days later, I met my husband and I had asked her to like, give me something. I didn't care what show me that I would be like strong and okay. And then my daughter, what I went into labor with my daughter on my grandmother's birthday. So they're both like Libra strong. And even now, like my daughter will do certain things or she'll say certain things. And and my mother has noticed this as well. And she's exactly like my grandma. It's, it's, it's like nuts. So even now, like if I would say my daughter's in that tribe too. And my husband's in that tribe. My parents are in that tribe. Like, and then I have my, I have a group of close clients here in that tribe. In addition to like my angels and stuff that I pray to, um, I have a very big Italian family. And since a lot of them have passed, I will pray to them. And, and it's more of a place of gratitude. I don't tend to ask for a lot because I feel like it's going to get given to me. So I don't stress about it, but I'm so thankful, you know, because if you had asked me a week after my injury, when I was getting ready to go through the first surgery, where I thought I would be at, I never could have imagined this, that that situation and how hard it was when I was in the weeds of it. And how much it took to get past it could have given me this, that I could have shown myself how resilient I really am. And it could have propelled me to this. And I'm also getting towards a a more like reflective time in that respect, because uh, I'm 36 now. So had I still been active duty, I'd be looking at a retirement in the next couple of years. So it's kind of like all coming full circle, but every day I'd talk to my grandma that warms my heart. So your top three all-time favorite books. I'm like, I'm looking at my bookcase. There's a book by Nikos Kazantzakis called The Last Temptation of Christ. There's a Daily Wisdom of Yoga book that I love. Um, And one book that I recently really got into, and I was very fortunate to get to meet the author Uh, It's called The League of Wives, and it's about a group 
of Navy spouses who are Army spouses, I forget which, their husbands were Navy spouses. Their husbands were uh, POWs during the Vietnam War. And they single-handedly changed congressional legislation for POW contact until their husbands came home. And I got to meet some of them. And it was one of the most powerful things I've ever gotten to do. Those three solid choices and none of which I've read. This is how I add to my reading list. (laughs) What would you tell your younger self with the wisdom that you have acquired? Stop being so hard on yourself. Show yourself a little love. Oh my gosh, Lisa, you're awesome. I'm so happy to know you. Thank you all so much for listening. And if you want to get in touch with Lisa, of course, all of her information is going to be in the show notes. She's also very generously offering a little freebie to our listeners. So be sure to check out the the show notes to see what she's got in store for you there. Um, Lisa is here in San Diego. So if you are looking for her, um, you can find her that way. If you know someone in your life who you feel like could benefit from listening to our conversation, please, please share it with them. We want to get the message of radical resilience and the importance of all of these seven pillars as far and wide as we possibly can, especially right now. My gosh, do we all need resilience in these crazy, insane times? Thank you again so much for joining us. As always, uh, it is my deep honor and privilege to share this time in this space with you. Until next time, wishing you so much love, light, and aloha. Namaste. I'm Pega Kadkodian. Thank you for listening to Radical Resilience, the podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Be sure to go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and rate. And remember to share this with all the amazing women in your life. Join us next week for another episode of Radical Resilience, the podcast.